At Emory University's Guizueta Business School, we believe in going beyond what is to build what should be. Because when you change your perspective, you change business for the better. In an ever-changing marketplace, we seek to make our mark. To achieve more, build more, do more, create more. That's the Guizueta Effect. Hi, I'm Melanie Buckmaster, Director of Communications for Emory University's Guizueta Business School and your host. Today, I'll be joined by Brandon Smith. Brandon is the author of the book, The Hot Sauce Principle, How to Live and Lead in a World Where Everything is Urgent All of the Time. We are in the middle of an urgency epidemic. More and more, people find themselves in an environment that cuts them no slack, offers few breaks, and is ever pushing them on. We'll talk about the history of urgency in our culture and how things have changed over time. We'll discuss when urgency is necessary and how you can apply it in just the right amount to bring out the best in your work and home life. And when uncontrolled urgency strikes, we'll give you tips and best practices to protect and bring balance to yourself and your loved ones. Brandon is an adjunct faculty in the practice of management communication at Guizueta Business School. He is the founder of the website, The Workplace Therapist, a resource dedicated to eliminating dysfunction at work, improving workplace health, and restoring a sense of optimism and hope. He has consulted numerous Fortune 100 organizations and leading individuals, and has been featured in Market Watch, NASDAQ, and The Wall Street Journal. Welcome, Brandon. Melanie, I'm really glad to be here today. Awesome. Well, in your book, you liken uncontrolled urgency to a feeling that everything has hot sauce on it. Yeah. Can you explain this concept and why you wanted to write this book? Yeah, so it hit me a few years ago. Uh, I was teaching a class here at Gorswada, and uh, we were talking about leading change. And, it, and the idea just kind of struck me that urgency is a lot like hot sauce. And why I love that concept is for many reasons. So first, I'm a big fan of hot sauce. So I always look for opportunities to put hot sauce on my food. Uh, now, it doesn't always agree with me. I typically get real sweaty when I do it, but I really, really love it. And when we add hot sauce to something, it's a good thing. It, it creates focus, priority, and adds some flavor to it, which is a really great thing. So urgency by itself is not a bad thing. Really, in the right doses, it's not. However, if everything that comes out of our leadership kitchen is covered in hot sauce, so the appetizers are covered in hot sauce, and the salad's drowning in hot sauce, and, and there's just this big just, just sheen of hot sauce over our entree, and of course the brownies got hot sauce just dripping all over it, and of course we're in the South, so our iced tea is nothing but hot sauce. Well, if you're like me, you're gonna be you know, curled up in a ball in the corner. So it's a good reminder for us that, you know, we can overdo this really easily. Um, and why I love this analogy so much is, like me, some people are sensitive to hot sauce. You only need to put a few drops on their tongue, and they're like, ready to go. Okay, I got it. What, what can I do to make this feeling go away? Other folks, they need two or three bottles of hot sauce. So it varies by person to person. But the concept really works because in the right doses with the right people, it's a really positive thing in life. But if we add too much hot sauce on things, it's going to create chaos and confusion. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. Um, well, as a communications professional and a mom and daughter and friend, I really identify with your book. I feel a sense of urgency all the time. 
has it always been this way? And what's the history of urgency? And what are some of the key forces at play that are driving urgency along? So it hasn't always been this way. I mean, there's always been urgency. I mean, it's just part of human condition to have urgency. And we have natural events that create urgency and sometimes unnatural events that, that, that create urgency. But what's really elevated that to a whole new level is probably over the last 10 years or so, maybe even 15. Mm-hmm. And there's been really two big factors. First, the advent of technology. I mean, the fact that our phones are with us all the time mm-hmm. and we're accessible all the time and people know that, that creates a whole other level of urgency. So we don't have the natural boundaries that we used to have when you, know, you leave work, you, you would leave, literally leave work. Mm-hmm. Now work is in, in your purse or your pocket with you at all times. Mm-hmm. So that, that heightens it, we don't get a break. I think the second thing that's, cha- that's been a big challenge for most organizations is since the recession around 2008, uh, every organization got lean during that time and they've stayed lean. So there's a lot of pressure to transform and pressure to do more with less. So you have this constant pressure to do more with less. No, one, no organizations really have strong bench strength. And everyone's doing one and a half jobs. Mm-hmm. Plus, you're available all the time. Mm-hmm. That's um, quite a hot sauce mixture, Melanie. <laughs> so I think those two factors have really contributed to it. And, and then now we throw on a pandemic, and it's just a whole other flavor of you know, hot sauce. You mentioned the pandemic, so we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, you began writing your book in 2018, and you talk about a moment of panic in March 2020, just before you published. COVID had just shut down the world, and you wondered whether your book would still even feel relevant. Uh, with everything happening around us, including the pandemic, um, our collective reckoning with racial justice and political unrest, how has urgency shifted, and how has it stayed the same? So what we've learned is urgency is a persistent. And for some reason, we like it. I'm not sure why that is, because it's so painful for us. But we actually had some natural boundaries created during the pandemic. And to be more clear, we were all sent home. We were all sent home. So all of a sudden, we didn't have to do this commuting. So if, if we think back to the first six weeks of that experience, what most people did was they said, oh my gosh, this is great. Like I'm not sitting in my car at 7 a.m. fighting traffic to try and get into the office. I can leisurely get up, spend time with my kids or family, and then log on at nine like I normally would. And same thing at five o'clock. And then somewhere right around that six week period, everyone realized, hey, I know where you are at 7.30 or 8 a.m., not in traffic. You can do a meeting. And so meetings started getting scheduled before 9 9 a.m. and after 5 Mm p.m. And so if if you grab any organization, for-profit, non-profit, higher ed, government, it doesn't matter, you're gonna find people that are just in meeting fatigue. And there's constant urgency because there's meeting after meeting after meeting and no time to do the work. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an unusual event that I wouldn't have expected to happen that we actually took this break that we were given and we said, no, 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 let's put some more hot sauce on that. And we just <laughs> added more. And so that's where most of us live today. <laughs> well, what about, you know, urgency's upsides? You talked a little in your opening about urgency being not always a bad thing. And it does have a time and place. Of course, urgency can help us survive. Um, it can be a motivator for growth and change. 
So as a leader, how can you use urgency properly to motivate rather than burn out your team? Yes. So let's talk about the positives of urgency. So I'm going to talk about it from a leadership perspective, as you mentioned. So um, there's a famous change management guru named John Cotter. He's been up at Harvard for decades researching and teaching on change management. You pick up any book on leading change, you're going to find John either heavily referenced or possibly even the author. And he's got a really nice, simple um, eight-step model to change. And the first step that he says you have to have is you have to have a high enough sense of urgency. It is step one, because if you don't have that high enough sense of urgency, it doesn't become a priority for people. There's no, that hot sauce isn't there. There's no flavor. It's bland. So people just move on to the next thing. And then in and, and his seventh step, he says you have to bring back urgency so you keep false pride down. So you, you have to keep heat on that process so people continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. So we see it in leading change. It's really important that you have to have some of it. And it makes sense when we think about our personal life. You know, if you, if you feel like you need to change your health, well, that's one thing. But if you go into the doctor's office and they say, hey, hey, Brandon, if you don't lose 10 pounds, like bad things are going to happen to you within the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Well, all of a sudden I got some real motivation to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. So we see it even as a, as a way to drive change for us. It's just making sure that it, it, it's at the right dose so it creates focus mm-hmm. and not chaos. And that's kind of that, that fine line of what we're talking about here today. Well, and I liked you talking about two different personalities needing different doses because I think that's huge. I know I'm someone who needs very little hot sauce because I create a lot of urgency internally. Um, but as a manager, it's important to know that others need higher doses. And um, at what times are you going to overwhelm versus motivate? Um, also, I think it's interesting to think about creating urgency in meaningful ways. I know one of the things that I learned here at Quizweta early on is just how important our students are to faculty and staff. And so kind of tying that sense of urgency to something that's fulfilling, um, mission-driven, and not just using a stick, but a carrot too. Yeah. Okay, so can I talk about that for a minute? Yes. Okay, so you just hit on something really important. There's two kinds of urgency in the world. Mm-hmm. We can call them our stick and our carrot. So our stick is our worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. This is like if we don't change, we're all going to die. <laughs> right. Okay. So I used to show in my classes, I'd show the trailer to Al Gore's movie, An Inconvenient Truth, that he did around 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Talk about climate change. And it's just urgency upon urgency upon urgency. It's a great example of if we don't change, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. Creates a lot of great discussion because sometimes Al goes to an extreme in, this, in the trailer. And so then that can, that can be too much. But it, we, there's that, that worst case scenario, which is very motivating for us, whether it's our own personal health, whether it's the life of an organization, or frankly, the planet. Okay, so that's, that's worst case scenario. Then we have our carrot, which is like opportunity scenario, which is like, Melanie, if you move right now, you can get this great opportunity. Mm-hmm. But the window is going to close and you got to move now. Mm-hmm. And so opportunity scenarios can also be great for urgency. 
And so we see that often like with our students because there are certain recruiting times where they know consulting firms are coming on campus and that's motivating, right? Or investment banking or marketing or whatever it happens to be. They all have their seasons they come on campus mm -hmm. and that's positive urgency. Oh, I better get my resume ready. I better work on my case prep. So, so those things can also be kind of positive motiv motivators for us. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of it's balancing the two. Now, one more important ingredient around urgency that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, there has to be a stake in the ground in terms of timing to create urgency. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, hey, one day consulting firms are going to come on campus. No, they're coming on campus next week. Right. Right. One day the climate might tip over and bad stuff will happen. No, it'll happen by 2025. Right. There has to be kind of a stake in the ground to create that that movement and, and momentum for us. That makes a lot of sense. Make, it brings it, makes it much more tangible. Well, what about um, when you do need to use urgency? You talk a lot about trust being a critical component um, before you apply that hot sauce. Can you speak more to this and some tips and best practices in building and maintaining trust with your teams? So let's talk about trust. So it's a really important foundation if we're going to add urgency. Because when you're creating urgency, you're intentionally creating a state of discomfort. So urgency, if I put on my clinical hat for a minute, so I have a clinical therapy background, if I put on my clinical hat for a minute, urgency is really anxiety. So what you're doing, so, so imagine, we already probably, as we're sitting here listening to this today and you and I are talking today, we probably can say to ourselves confidently, this is probably the most anxious time we've ever lived in because of all the factors involved, right? And, and we see that when we look at kids getting diagnosed with anxiety, adults getting diagnosed with anxiety, difficulty in even finding anxiety medications, okay? Mm -hmm. So what I'm actually saying is to do this effectively, you're going to intentionally put a dose of anxiety into a person or a group mm -hmm. or an organization. Mm -hmm. So it's a dangerous sauce that we're using here. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, that person, that moment is going to ask themselves, I, this doesn't feel good. Do, do I trust her or him enough to allow me to feel this way? Mm -hmm. So trust is really, really important. Mm -hmm. So in, in the book, I actually give a trust formula that I've been teaching here at Goisweta for almost 15 years. And it's um, in parentheses, it's authenticity plus vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's authenticity plus vulnerability in parentheses. And then you multiply that amount by credibility mm -hmm. and that gets us trust. And it's a nice, simple way to think about how do we build trust with folks. I, we could talk, spend more time on that if you'd like. Yeah. But it's so critical in terms of driving urgency because the team has to, or the person has to trust us enough mm -hmm. to allow us to take them down that uncomfortable path. Sure. So it's, it's really, really important. And even true as parents, you know, we've got to make sure we have enough of that trust built up with our kiddos mm -hmm. that when we say, you know, you need to do this now, um, they're, they're, they listen to us. Nice. Th though they don't always. <laughs> Having had three teenagers in my house, I, I, I can definitely say that <laughs> I've used lots of hot sauce with <laughs> some effect and some not effect. So you talk about authenticity and credibility being key components as well. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about that and give some examples of what that might look like. Yes, yeah, so if we go back to the trust formula, the reason why I had to make it a multiplication formula is if you look at the two sides of it, on one side is credibility, mm -hmm. the other side is authenticity plus vulnerability, mm -hmm. okay? It, as we've learned with kind of basic math principles, if you multiply anything by zero, you get zero. Mm -hmm. So if credibility goes to zero, doesn't matter how authentic or vulnerable you are, they don't 
see you as a credible leader, they're not going to trust you. And the same is true on the other side. You could have all the titles in the world and look all polished, but if you don't kind of show up as a real human being, you're going to feel kind of phony, plastic, politician-y, and people aren't going to fully trust you. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we've, we invest in some of those. So some simple ways to kind of move the needle on trust. Um, let's start with credibility first. Um, there's probably two easy ones to start with. First is consistency. Mm-hmm. Just being consistent in terms of how you treat people, um, how you operate every day and every week. I mean, it, it's, an, it's an easy one, but it's really foundational. Mm-hmm. There was a group of researchers uh, a few years ago that took on what I think is a really interesting question. They said, what's the worst kind of leader to work for? That was our question, worst kind of leader. Mm -hmm. Now, I thought they were going to come back and say the leader who bangs their fist on the table, uh, yells and screams, uh, that was actually not the worst. Micromanager wasn't the worst. Mm -hmm. The worst was the inconsistent one Mm -hmm. because you never know what you're going to get. You're walking into work that day and am I going to get like the happy leader, the unhappy leader? You know, are they going to change priorities on me? Are they going to treat me the same as my coworker? Um, So consistency is really important. Yeah. The other one I would add to this is uh, responsiveness just being really responsive. Also, a piece of research studied on great managers. They found the most effective managers. The one trait they had in common was they were super responsive with everyone on their team. So these are easy ways that we can build credibility. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, we could go down the same path with authenticity and vulnerability, but I would say that the the simple answer to that side of the equation is just get more comfortable being a little more transparent Mm -hmm. and, and recognizing and being able to communicate you don't have all the answers. Absolutely. Which the pandemic has uh, taught all of us, uh, for better or for worse, (laughs) that anyone who raises their hand and says, well, I figured all this out, is probably not going to be seen as a very um, trustworthy leader or credible leader because we're all kind of working through it. So just being able to kind of share our thinking, sharing our motives, and then, you know, that invites people in. Absolutely. I've found that, too, with constructive feedback when I'm working with teams, you know, offering up a little bit of insight into struggles that I've had with my own journey and how they might relate to the team just kind of takes the sting out of, you know, some areas where maybe the team needs to grow and gives them a picture of, you know, we're all growing, learning, and that's the beauty of all of this, right? We're doing it together. I think that's a great example because when we share our own story of getting feedback and learning, it makes it a growth opportunity. Mm -hmm. When we don't do that, In absence of communication, people almost always assume the worst. Mm -hmm. So we don't do that. They say, oh, my gosh, Melanie doesn't like me. Mm -hmm. Melanie's out to get me. Uh, I'm I'm on the bad list, right? And all of a sudden that triggers a bunch of childhood stuff, and it really sends people down some paths. So that's why it's important that we add a little more context. And telling our own story is a great way to do that. I I love that example. Good, good. Well, um, what about when you're on the receiving end of urgency? How can you properly respond to protect yourself and keep yourself balanced? And what are some tips and best practices we can keep in our back pocket? Several years ago, I was talking about this idea of urgency, and I, and I said, here's a bottle of hot sauce. It's, and he was um, an owner of a business, a 50-person business, of a, a kind of a marketing firm, and he was an anxious guy just by nature. So he made everything urgent all the time. And his team was really getting burned out. So I gave him this example. Well, he went out on his own to the grocery store later that day, and he bought three bottles of urgency, of hot sauce. And he stuck them on his desk, one, (laughs) two, three. And every time he gave out a project that was urgent, 
he would hand one of the bottles to the owner of that project to say, this is really urgent. You actually get one of the hot sauce bottles. Uh -huh. okay? And the person would take it back as a symbol that this was urgent, that I had an urgent project to work on. Mm -hmm. Now, the best part wasn't the symbolism. The best part was he only had three bottles. Mm -hmm. He could only make three things urgent at a time. At a time. And why I love that idea is not only is it a great way for us to think about how we're handing out urgency, but wouldn't it be great if we could visually see how many bottles of hot sauce we had on our table, mm -hmm. on our desk? Mm -hmm. Then it would be great if we could see it and our, and our leaders could see it too. Like before they walked into your office, they'd be like, Melanie, I got something urgent. And all of a sudden they see like 50 bottles just surrounding you on a desk. They would say, oh, well, I tell you what, maybe I'll come back. <laughs> Right. So the reason why I, I like that and I'm telling that story is think of ways to make the, all the items that are urgent on your plate, both personally and professionally, more visible to you and to, to other leaders. Mm -hmm. The problem is we don't want to feel vulnerable or weak, so we don't tell leaders that we have 50 bottles of hot sauce on our plate. Mm -hmm. So they just say, oh, well, she can handle this and just add another and another and another. So in many ways, we're doing it to ourselves. So the, the therapist in me says, you, know, you gotta communicate your own boundaries mm -hmm. around this. But just having that healthy conversation mm -hmm. of saying, hey, I've got, a lot, I've got all these bottles. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to take your bottle and put it in there, but we need to take one off. Mm -hmm. um, help, help me figure out which one of these needs to go away. Those healthy conversations can help to, help to manage that a little bit better. Absolutely. What, what other boundaries uh, can you put in place or do you feel like are reasonable asks of uh, an employee to their managers or leaders? Protect your time. And so I'm going to go into more detail about what I mean by protect your time. So let's say during the week, I've got a good colleague of mine and friend, Randy Hain. He's got a great saying. He says, put air in your calendar. How many of us go from Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting to Zoom with no break in between? We can't even go to the restroom. We can't get a cup of coffee, let alone shoot off a, a couple of emails. So one easy way we can manage some of that urgency is create a little more air, a little more space just in our daily rhythms mm -hmm. so we have more time. But I would say probably the most important one, it's the most obvious, but people aren't protecting it the way they need to be. Don't do emails on the weekend. Mm -hmm. so many consulting firms actually put a policy in place prior to the pandemic where they were telling their clients, after 5 p.m. and before 9 a.m., mm -hmm. do not send any emails to any of our consultants because they are instructed not to respond mm -hmm. in order to protect that time. Mm -hmm. I think all of us should put that in place. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I'm not saying don't work over the weekend. But Microsoft Office has a wonderful feature where, where if that's your tool you're using, you can schedule your emails to go out on Monday. Mm -hmm. I do work on the weekends all the time and I schedule it to go out on Monday. And I started doing that a few years ago. And the beautiful thing was, because I wasn't sending it out on the weekend, I didn't get caught up in email tennis. Because mm -hmm. you know, you send something off on a Saturday, you're like, oh, good, it's gone. Well, guess what? That person's working too. They shouldn't be, but they are. Mm -hmm. And they want to show you they're working. So they send an email back, they hit it back in your court. You go, well, now I'm getting back in their court. <laughs> Pretty soon it's 15 love, 30, 30, you know, 40, 15, you know, and you're, now you're in, a, you're in a match. So so communicate really clearly that you're not going to be active on the weekend unless under special circumstances. And then give people kind of that, that bat phone way of communicating you. Maybe it's a text, maybe it's a phone call, but give them that special way to, to reach you. This is doubly important if you're the leader. Here's the worst phrase I've heard leaders use around this. 
the worst. Well, I, I tell my team, you know, even though I send emails at 3, 3 a.m., don't do like, don't do that like me. And you don't have to respond. It's just there. I just wanted to get it off so you had it. Mm-hmm. That is poor leadership 101. Mm-hmm. Because what will happen is the team will map to your rhythm. Mm-hmm. They're going to feel an obligation to, to try and keep up with you. Mm-hmm. So if you can't sleep and you just do work at 3 a.m., mm-hmm. no problem. But mm-hmm. don't hit send. You're mm-hmm. going to mess up your team's rhythm. Well, we talked a lot about urgency at work, but we face it in our personal lives too. So how do you keep your family, including your spouse, kids, and loved ones safe from the urgency epidemic? This is a big question. We could probably do the whole show on this one, and this one's a little harder to solve, okay? Because just as I mentioned before, jokingly, you know, you can put urgency on an employee and they're like, okay, yeah, I don't want to lose my job. You put urgency on a kiddo, they're like, yeah, you're not going to fire me. Like, <laughs> I'm still going to have this bedroom. Like, what's really the worst thing you're going to happen? Take my phone away? Like, so, so it creates, it's a little harder when we're managing it when we're trying to raise fully formed adults. But it's a really important thing. We can all relate to, the, to those moments where we've had kiddos, particularly as they get closer to teenage years, where they're, they're too comfortable. And you say, you know, you're, you're too comfortable. You need to kind of you know, hop out of bed. It's, it's, it's noon. It's time to get up, time to get going, right? So we have to create urgency in those moments. Now, what the world around us doesn't do very a good job of is it's creating more intensity um, in our kiddos' lives. So let's just take um, under 18 as kind of a, a perspective. Mm-hmm. So what's happened over the last 20 years is the, the competition and competitiveness to get into colleges mm-hmm. has really increased to the point that now parents are getting caught up and involved in crafting the kiddos' resumes and college applications. So they're getting overly involved in travel sports, as if that's the secret, and and competitive piano, if that's even a thing. I mean, and they're trying to create all these things. So they're, they're, they're not creating room and space for kids to not only breathe, but also play. There's no space for play. Play is when we learn agency. Play is when we learn we're enough. So this is the therapist in me coming out. When we are overly scripting everything for our kids because we feel the sense of pressure and urgency to get them into the great, great schools, you're communicating to them they are not enough. And that creates anxiety in its own because when they're not around you, they're like, oh my gosh, mom's not around, dad's not around. I can't do this without them. So we've lost that ability to really allow people to learn how to deal with life because we were getting caught up in stuff that really doesn't matter. So I would say the first thing for parents is take a step back and make sure that you're not getting so overly involved that you're contributing to the urgency. You're giving your kids space to breathe and space to choose what they want too. Not just, not just being told, well, you've been doing travel baseball for 10 years, you can't quit now. Like that's, that's just gonna enhance that, that urgency. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one I would also say is find time for vacations and breaks. Um, early on when I was starting my practice, I, I didn't have time to take two weeks off, but we would take a lot of quarterly vacations. And so we would you know, take long weekends. Mm-hmm. Great way to just unplug kind of that interval training idea. Mm-hmm. How can I take a Friday and a Monday and just you know, do something with the family to get time to connect and um, create a little more of a safe bubble for us around, that, that protects us from some of the pressures of, of the world? Well, what if we don't fix the urgency epidemic? What losses do we stand to face? Well, the obvious one is, ironically, productivity. Mm -hmm. 
because too much urgency creates chaos. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly distracted. We can't, we cannot move down a path to get something accomplished. And so you're seeing that in Fortune 500 companies today. All the, in almost every one of them, they feel like they're not making the progress they want to make. And so what those senior leaders do, those C-level leaders, is they say, well, we don't have enough urgency around here. So they put more hot sauce on things. Mm -hmm. They pat themselves on the back and they say, well, I did a great job today. Created more urgency. And it just made things worse. So um, you'll lose productivity because we lose focus. I think that's the first one. Uh, the second one is we create burnout. You know, we, we, you end up seeing um, uh, lower retention and, and higher turnover because people leave. You'll see people leaving and needing to actually step away from the, the job market for some time to just recharge. Mm -hmm. And then at a community and family level, then all that trickles into those systems too, mm -hmm. which those parents become anxious. And then that, that creates a level, a level of anxiety for the kids because they see their parents anxious and worried. And so that communicates to them. They may not put words around it if they're little, but they say, oh gosh, the world's a scary place. I should be worried too. Well, you've been working with organizations and individuals for years, identifying dysfunction and restoring a sense of optimism. What are some of the bright spots you've seen and what gives you hope for the future? So I, ha I will say, we think about the trust formula, that authenticity plus vulnerability part of the formula. Mm -hmm. Before the pandemic, leaders looked at that, even though I pushed really hard as to why this was important and give them examples. They'd say, yeah, that's a nice to have. I get it. I can see the value of that, Brandon. And I can see why a leader would want to do that. Mm -hmm. But I don't really want to do that, and I don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, the pandemic taught us that, uh, yeah, you, you probably do need to do that. And that's the only way you're going to get your people to fail, feel connected to you is for you to have that authentic, vulnerable side of you as a leader. Mm -hmm. So that's been a real positive thing. We've seen more and more leaders really embrace their the the personal side of their life and wanted to share a little bit more of that in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a little more of that desire for connection. Um, that's probably the second one I would build on too is that people are really hungry for more connection mm -hmm. and community. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like anything. You take something away for a while. It's 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 like the Chick-fil-A effect. I can't go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday, so I want it on Monday, right? <laughs> so so now all these things you couldn't have mm -hmm. and now you want you want it more and appreciate it more. So I think there's going to be more appreciation for us as human beings with each other and ability to connect. I think those are real big positives. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also think that in some pockets, um, communication and collaboration have really been increased and improved. Mm -hmm. Like leaders are really getting better and more thoughtful about trying to clearly communicate their expectations, mm -hmm. um, what, what, the why behind their decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot more about around context, around what's going on. So I think that's improved um, mostly because we had to. We had no other choice because everyone's working from home. We, we can't just call a quick town hall and everybody come into the cafeteria and do that. Yeah. We've got to figure out other ways to communicate. So I think we've gotten better there too. Mm -hmm. So those all give me hope because I think we're going to keep those muscles mm -hmm. as we move into whatever normal is going to look like, Melanie. I'm not quite sure, but I think we're going to carry those muscles with us and that'll make us better. Well, Brandon, we've talked so much about the workplace and urgency today. Um, what are you up to now and what other topics are you exploring? So I'm actually, I'm glad you asked that question, Melanie. I'm actually uh, wrapping up my uh, follow-on book to The Hot Sauce Principle. It's called Author versus Editor. 
And this book is all about how to not only maximize and manage our time as leaders, mm -hmm. but making sure we're sitting in the right seats with our teams. Mm -hmm. And so there's an element of time management, an element of delegation, element of setting boundaries. And it's not only fantastic for helping leaders to really work more on the business rather than in the business, mm -hmm. so elevate them so we get out of all that urgency and firefighting, but also can be used with our, our families at home helping us to even grow those kiddos into fully formed adults versus gooey 23-year-olds in the middle. <laughs> so so it's, it's really great for all those things. So I hope everyone stays tuned. I'm really excited about the book. It'll be in the similar style as this book uh, and plan on having it come out kind of early uh, second quarter. Fantastic. I can't wait to read it. Thank you, Brandon. My pleasure. Brandon is an adjunct faculty in the practice of management communication at Guizueta Business School. He joined today to talk about how we can live and lead in a world ruled by urgency and put ourselves back in charge. Check out more about Brandon and his work at theworkplacetherapist.com. For more information about the Guizueta Effect podcast, please visit emory.biz podcast. Thank you.